Okay, today's reading is from Luke 12, verses 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what, will, what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in the heaven that will not, never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you just heard a few moments ago, today is the first Sunday of Lent. And historically, Lent is a time in which Christians and churches think about spiritual renewal. They engage in spiritual self-examination. And that's what we're going to do as a church for the next couple of weeks. We're going to engage in some spiritual self-reflection. Specifically, we're going to be tackling through various passages of the Bible what I believe are some of the biggest obstacles to faith and to trusting in God in our world today. The passage that you just heard read is all about worry. And I can think of few examples of things that are more relevant to having a healthy spiritual life than the topic of worry. I've been doing my own spiritual inventory, a sort of spiritual self-examination, getting ready for today. And as I look at my own life, it's pretty clear to me that the reasons I'm not nearly as peaceful or as joyful as I should be, the reasons that I'm irritable sometimes or impatient, if I trace those things deep enough, it's because I'm worried because I'm worried. I worry about all kinds of things. For example, today I'm preaching on worry. So to get ready for the sermon, I'm reading books and articles and reading commentaries, and I'm writing the sermon, and I'm thinking, is this sermon going to be any good? Did I read enough? What if it's too boring? What if I miss something important or I say something offensive? And I'm worrying about preaching on worry. We all worry. And we all worry about all kinds of things. Sometimes we worry about things that might seem trivial or small. And sometimes we worry about things that feel to us like life and death. And sometimes we worry about life and death itself. And if we're going to be a people who experience spiritual health, if we're going to be a people who experience 
the peace and the joy that God wants his people to experience, we have to listen to Jesus' teaching about worry. Not only how he describes worry, but also what he says we can do with our worry. And let me just say, before we get into the sermon, it's incredibly good news that when Jesus gave teaching, one of the topics that came up time and again in his teaching was the subject of worry. And notice in the very first verse of the passage, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, and then he teaches them about worry. If you are worried today about something, if you're a person who is always prone to being worried, you're not alone. Even the followers of Jesus, the ones that he handpicked to be his representatives in the world, even they needed to hear his teaching about worry. And so if you do too, you're in good company. And Jesus is ever gracious. And so he comes with teaching today that's gonna challenge and confront us, but spoken with so much love and gentleness to worried hearts. So that said, this is a great passage. Let's look at and see what Jesus says not to do and why he says not to do it. And then third, what Jesus says to do and how you can. So four things today, what Jesus says not to do and why, what Jesus says to do and how you can. So first, what is it that Jesus says you ought not to do? It's there in verse 22, repeated in verse 29. Don't worry about your life. Later, don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. And so Jesus' teaching, at least on the surface, is clear. Don't worry. Don't worry about the big things. Don't worry about the small things. And as we hear that, even as modern people, some of you are thinking, come on, Jesus, are you serious? The world is filled with trouble and problem and pain, and you're saying don't worry? Now, as modern people, when you think about the things that worry you or the things that give you, uh, that make you fret, there's really in a city like London two, you might say, modern approaches to how people engage with worry. The first we might call the type A response to worry. And here, and many of you, this is descriptive, so just look in the mirror here. You find something in your life that's worrying you or troubling you or challenging you, and so what do you do? You say, I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to study harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get the right people's advice. I'm going to conquer my worry. I'm going to figure out this trouble. I'm going to figure out my problem. And you sort of type A the concerns of your life. You just go after them. And as an achiever with your competitive spirit, you try to overcome your worry with your resources and abilities. Sometimes it works. Most of the time, honestly, it doesn't. But that's the type A approach to worry. And our city's filled with people like that. There's also what I sometimes describe as the Timon and Pumbaa approach to worry. Any Lion King fans out there? It's an ancient movie. It was early 90s, you know. Um, Timon and Pumbaa. There's a little lion in the movie, and he meets Timon and Pumbaa, who are animals, a warthog, and something else, I don't know. And uh, the lion, you know, is at a moment in his life where he's very afraid. His family's falling apart. His future is very uncertain. So he's worried. And Timon and Pumbaa, his new friends, come along and say, Akuna Matata. Which the lion says, what does that mean? And they say, Akuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. 
Akuna Matata. And we laugh, and some of you want to start singing, but <laughs> what they're saying is actually a pretty modern approach to problems and worry, and that is, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Just have fun. Everything's going to be fine. Just let it slide off your back. Don't get too concerned. And so what you have in our world, in a city like London and hearts like yours, are these two sometimes competing and sometimes on the same day you go back and forth between I'm going to solve it, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to deal with my problems. And on the other hand, I'm just going to, it's going to all work out. It's going to be fine. No worries. Just chill. Just have fun. Is that what Jesus is saying when he says, don't worry? No. Jesus is far too wise to offer such a simplistic or reductionistic view of the world. And when Jesus says to his people, don't worry, he's not saying, master your problems by your own strength or akuna matata, it's all going to be fine. He's saying something much more profound. And to get after what he's saying, we actually have to spend a minute thinking about that word, worry. Definition, what does he really mean when he says, don't worry? Now, the word worry appears four times in the passage. And the Greek word that is translated here, worry, is a very interesting word because it's used in other parts of the Bible in a positive way. So here, Jesus is telling his followers, I don't want you to worry. But in other places, the same word is used as something that's positive. So example, Philippians chapter two, the apostle Paul is writing and he says to the church, I'm gonna send Timothy to you because he's the only one who shows genuine concern for your soul. The Greek word is the same, genuine concern, it's worry. So in Philippians two, Paul's basically saying, Timothy's coming to serve you because he's the only one who really worries about you. You say, what's the deal? What's happening? Well, Jesus is remarkably realistic. In your life, it's good to be concerned about things. It's good to care about things. Jesus is not advocating a carefree or a careless life. Akuna matata, whatever happens, it's all going to be fine. That's not the approach of Jesus. But you know that sometimes, oftentimes, what is healthy, good concern starts growing in your heart. And it grows and it grows and it gets out of control. And what started off as healthy care or healthy concern grows into what you might call over-concern or what Jesus is calling here, worry. And that's why a better English word to really capture what Jesus is forbidding here, the word would be anxiety. Don't be anxious. Jesus is saying, don't be ruled by anxiety. Now, that word, anxiety, is a much healthier word for us to understand what Jesus is teaching because you know if you've ever had seasons of anxiety, ever been anxious, what really is happening in your life at that moment is you become double-minded. That is, you're unable to focus on the things that are right in front of you because you're so worried about something else. You're so concerned about something else. So it's good, for example, to want to perform well at your job. But if you're so worried or so anxious about your job that you can't sleep or you can't rest or you can't be present with your family or friends, yeah, you should be concerned about performing well at your job, but now you've become over-concerned, anxious, and worried. And Jesus is saying, 
That's the kind of trait or the kind of characteristic that I'm inviting you not to experience. And that's the kind of trait that for the followers of Jesus will impact your ability to experience his peace and his joy. It's not care, it's not concern. We're not supposed to be careless people. We are to make plans, we're to be after things, but we're not to be over-concerned, worried or anxious. So that's what Jesus forbids. That's what he says not to do. Don't be worried about your life. But we say, why? Why? Why does Jesus care so much? There's so much evil and trouble in the world. Shouldn't we be concerned and worried? And why is Jesus giving this teaching? Now, here's what's really important. There are a lot of reasons why people are worried or to be practical. There are a lot of reasons why you're anxious today. Many of you are. There are psychological physical and social factors which contribute to our mental well-being and to our worry and to our anxiety. And none of those factors should be ignored. None of those factors should be dismissed. But the purpose of this sermon is not only to listen to Jesus' teaching, but to ask the question, spiritually speaking, what can we say about worry? Not to minimize or ignore all those other real factors, but to ask the question from Jesus, our teacher, what is he telling us about the root or the causes for worry? And according to Jesus, there's always two reasons why you worry or you experience over-concern. We'll call them this, functional atheism and idolatry. And they're in the passage, functional atheism and idolatry. What do I mean? One reason you worry or you experience overconcern is because functionally you have forgotten who God is. Said differently, you're living in the world as though God is not actually out there. Said differently, you're living in the world as though you are God, that you are in control. And when that happens, we worry. Now, None of, many of you would not say, I know, you know, I'm God, or, you know, I know he's not there, but functionally, that's how you're living. You're living in the world as though it all depends on you, and that's what Jesus is saying here in verses 22 through 29. Let me just read a few excerpts from the passage. Jesus says, why are you worried about your life? Look at the ravens. God feeds them. Or later, why are you worried about what you'll wear? Look at the flowers. God clothes them. If God takes care of birds and flowers, don't you think that he'll take care of you? Now, here's what Jesus is saying. God made the birds and God made the flowers. And he takes care of them. They have what they need. And he made you. And you're not a bird. You're not a flower. You're made in his image. And if he takes care of them, then of course he's going to take care of you. He's the maker. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of everything. And if he's taking care of all that, what makes you think he's forgotten about you? Now, that's Jesus' teaching. And what we reveal when we're worried or when we're experiencing that anxious, fretful over-concern is that in that moment, at some level, we have functionally forgotten the fact that God is our maker and our sustainer. We're living in the world as though he's not there. And one of the reasons why in your anger you get so upset and so angry is because you think you know better than God about how the world should go and about how your life should go. Functional atheism is one of the roots of our worry. It's one of the reasons why we have such restlessness 
such a lack of peace, such despair. There was a man called Philip Melanchthon. He was a reformer, lived in the 16th century. A reformer, that is, he helped start a movement in the Christian church. He was good friends with another man called Martin Luther. And they were doing something that at the time was very dangerous. There was, humanly speaking, a lot for them to be worried about. They had death threats on their life. The Pope put a bounty on their head. I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. And so Martin Luther was kind of a bold, kind of a gregarious leader. But Melanchthon was always timid. I mean, that man worried about everything. And so he was always fretful, always nervous. And one morning, he comes out to breakfast to his friend Martin Luther. And Philip says, flee to the mountains. We have to go. We're going to die. We're, this is all going to go kaput. This is not going to work. And Luther stands up. He walks over to Melanchthon, puts his hand on his shoulder and says, let Philip cease to rule the world. Let Philip cease to rule the world. What Luther was saying is what Jesus was teaching. You're not big enough for the job of running the world. You're also not big enough for the job actually of running your own life. God is. He's your maker. He's on the throne. That's why Jesus is teaching about worry. Because when it's present, as it's present, when it's festering in our heart, we have become the masters of our own fate. We are trying to run the world, but you're not up for the job. And so one of the reasons why Jesus says don't worry is because of functional atheism or unbelief. And it's toxic to spiritual health. But there's another reason, not just functional atheism, but there's another reason why we worry. And you might call this reason idolatry. That is looking to something or some things to get from them what actually only God should be giving you. Let me show you what I mean. If you come down to verse 33 in our passage... Jesus says that we should be storing up our treasure in heaven. Now, we'll come back to that in a few moments. But basically, what Jesus seems to be saying is the antidote for worry is storing up treasure in heaven. Which must mean that one of the reasons we worry is because we treasure too much transient and temporal things. That is, we take too much treasure in things that we're not going to be able to hold on to anyway. Now, is it right to treasure relationships? Is it right to treasure your job? Is it right to treasure fun things? Sure, absolutely, but not too much. That is to say, the word treasure that Jesus is using here, it means to find something so beautiful and captivating that you get your ultimate sense of meaning and identity from it. And if you treasure anything ultimate that you can lose, of course you're always going to be worried. Of course, you're always going to be anxious. If your meaning in life comes from something that you can't hold on to with any certainty, you'll never rest. So let me give you an example, one that many of you feel, one of, many of you think about. If you're married, is marriage a good thing? Absolutely. It's a great thing. But if you get your meaning in life from your spouse... Like if the reason you know who you are and have any sense of worth is because you're married to so-and-so, do you realize how anxious and fretful you'll be all the time? You'll put so much pressure and expectation on that person. And when they fail you, because newsflash, they're human too, and they will fail you, you'll be in despair. 
Or you'll want so much out of that relationship that you will despair yourself every time you fall short or fail them. It's good. Marriage is great. But it's not a God. It's not big enough to save you. And Jesus is saying, if you treasure that too much, you're always going to be anxious. Here's another twist on that. Many of you want to be married. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. Great thing. But if you think, I'll only know who I am. I'll only have a sense of identity and worth in my life when I get to be with so-and-so or when I marry so-and-so. Do you realize that (laughs) that might mean you're gonna make terrible choices about who you date and who you marry because you can't bear the thought of being alone. You just can't face that future. We could go on and on with examples. Think for, here's another Should you care about your reputation? You know, how people view you? Sure, absolutely. It's good to be self-aware, good to be socially aware. But how often in our lives does that turn into what we might call social anxiety? In which you're filled with anxiety about what others think of you and how others perceive you. And by the way, the internet has done nothing to help us with this. We're just constantly fretting. How did I come across How did they receive me? You should care a little, yeah, about how other people receive you. Of course, it's just part of being a person and in community. But if your meaning in life comes from what other people think about you, you'll never rest. And you'll never be able to take criticism. You'll always be harsh and defensive whenever anybody comes after you with any kind of confrontation. You'll never grow because we only grow through honest feedback. See, we could go on and on. If you treasure transient and temporal things too much, you'll always be worried because you're looking to those things to give you what only God is able to give and you can't hold on to those things. In fact, the tighter you grip, the more easily they slip through your fingertips. So Jesus is saying, don't worry. Why? Because all worry at some level has as its spiritual roots, unbelief and idolatry. And it's gonna wreak spiritual havoc in your life. So, great, we know what not to do and why. Don't worry, because of functional atheism and idolatry. But now what? Well, (laughs) what I love about this passage, and my goodness, it's unfathomably gentle. Jesus tells us what we should do. He tells us what we should do. If you tell a worried person, stop worrying, they just worry more. They just get more anxious. And Jesus, again, the master teacher knows that. And so when he says, don't worry, he actually, in a very beautiful way, tells us not to worry, not by saying, you must banish all worry from your life forever. But what he actually says, you need to learn how to crowd out the worry with something else. And friends, that's a habit in spiritual life. That's a rhythm of spiritual renewal that you need. In your life, on this side of glory, probably you will never fully banish worry. But there are habits and disciplines, there are mindsets that you can enter into that will help you crowd out worry so that you lessen and weaken its destructive power in your spiritual life. How do we do that? Verse 31, crowd out your worry by seeking the kingdom. Seeking the kingdom. What's the kingdom? Well, the kingdom needs a king. 
And ultimately, the kingdom is not just a place, but it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And the kingdom is not just a place that you'll enjoy fully in the future. It's a place that you can enjoy partially in the present. And Jesus says, right now, at this moment, whatever you're worried about, whatever you're anxious about, start crowding out that worry by seeking the kingdom, by seeking him. You say, okay, well, how do I do that? Two ways. How do you seek the kingdom? First, remember whose you are. You have to remember whose you are. What I love about this passage is that when Jesus says, don't worry, he is so pastoral, you might say, so personal in the teaching he gives about who God is. It's not abstract theology. It's remarkably personal. So come with me back to the passage. Verse 23, Jesus says, stop worrying, don't worry. He says, consider the ravens. Now, Jesus always taught outside. There weren't buildings like this that Jesus would teach in. So he's standing outside. He's teaching his disciples and a bird flies by and he says, yeah, there we go. Consider the raven. God feeds them. Like they don't strategize. They don't have a financial portfolio. They don't plan. They ain't gone to uni. And God takes care of them. And you're not a bird. You're a person. And then Jesus says, oh, and there are some flowers. Consider the flowers. They don't work. They don't go to the gym. They don't work really hard. They don't take a thousand pictures of themselves trying to figure out which one's the best. And God clothes them. And look how stunning they are. And Jesus is saying, that's a bird, that's a flower, but you're a person. You were made in his image. That's who you are. He is your maker. And he goes on, not just as God, your maker, but also he's your gracious redeemer. Verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the only place in the entire Bible that the word little flock is used. The word little doesn't mean numerically small. It means weak. <laughs> it means not strong. And by the way, you know, you know, lots of times the Bible calls people sheep. And you might think, oh, that's so nice, like sheep, fluffy. It's meant to be an insult, actually. <laughs> sheep are remarkably unintelligent. Like sheep literally will follow each other off a cliff trying to find grass to eat. They can't, def they have zero defense mechanisms, like zero. And the Bible more than any other image says that God's people are sheep. And you know, I, I can't even tell you how, we'll come back to this in a moment. But isn't it a stunning thing that when Jesus is teaching on worry, like anxiety and fretfulness, he says, don't be afraid, little flock. Like, this world is too big for you. This world is too much for you. You can't figure it out on your own. But I'm going to give you the kingdom. It, we'll come back to this, but he's saying, I'm not just your maker. Like, I didn't just set you up and let you go. I'm your shepherd. You don't have the strength to face life, and I'm with you. Maker. Redeemer, and the last thing Jesus says in this passage is that God is your father. That's verse 30, again in verse 32. God is your father. 
Now, some of you have had bad relationships or not existing relationships with your dads, and sometimes it's hard to hear this, but we can all acknowledge at some level, we know that a dad should be someone who's present, who's protective, who's caring, and who's loving. And Jesus is saying, God is your father, the ultimate father. Now, if you want to see a person who's living a worry-free life, not a careless life, not a carefree life, but a truly non-anxious life, you need to look at a little child whose parents love them. That's, that's someone who's not worried. And Jesus says, your father is God. The one who has all power, the one who's totally loving, the one who holds the stars in, the play, in their place. That's the one who loves you. So how do you seek the kingdom? To this, like right now, how do you seek the kingdom? Remember God is your maker. Remember Jesus, your redeemer. Remember God, your father. Like consciously take those truths and work them into your soul so that they're more than just abstract concepts, but they become more real to you than the sun that's now hitting some of your faces. Like you work them in. And not just do you remember whose you are, but the second way you seek the kingdom is you remember what's coming. Now, earlier I said the kingdom of God It's not just a place, it's a person, but it will be a place. (laughs) One day in the future, the Bible says God's kingdom is going to come and the whole cosmos is going to be the place of his realm, his dwelling. And everything sad in that kingdom is going to become untrue. So here's my question. That, That day's coming. And since Christians are meant to be people who believe, what they believe about the future impacts their present, here's my question. What are you worried about today? And will that worry be healed when you get to the kingdom of God? The answer probably is yes. That whatever you're carrying, whatever you're worried about today, in the kingdom, that worry is going to be healed. And Jesus says, eyes up. The kingdom is coming. Like you're going to get it. If you're my follower, if you're in me, if you're a Christian, that future is your future. And yeah, I know it's not always enough. It sometimes feels like cold comfort to say, well, just hang on, hold tight, it's coming. But friends, hope is real if you're a Christian. And Jesus is saying, you're gonna get the kingdom. And in that place, in that moment, everything sad comes untrue. And if some of that light from that future pours into your present, it gives you a kind of ballast, a kind of hope that enables you to face anything. Seek the kingdom. Remember whose you are, Remember what's coming. Okay, fine. But how do I do that? We'll close here. And I want to say it this way. Some of you today, you know, are worried about small things. And some of you are worried about really big things. Terminal things, future things, family things. Like you're deeply, deeply worried. And here's what I want you to hear today. Here's what I I need you to understand. Jesus is gracious with worriers. Jesus does not say to people, figure out your worry and then follow me. He says, bring all your worry to me. I can handle it. And the reason I know that is again, verse 32. The quiet beauty of this verse is overwhelming. If I could sort of brand it on your heart, I would. 
Don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, again, we've said this. You're a sheep, little strength, can't handle life on your own, no defense mechanisms. Sheep should be worried all the time. Like, they should constantly, where are we going to eat? Where if the wolf kills me? Like, they should just be worried all the time. But they're not. Why? Because they have a shepherd. The sheep know the shepherd is there. The shepherd will protect me. The shepherd's got my back. I'm safe because he's here. And when Jesus says, you're a sheep, you don't need to be afraid. What he must be saying is what he says in John chapter 10. Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. And I will give my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I'm gonna, I've got you. Like, I'm going to die for you. I will protect you. I will give you everything, even as it costs me my life. That's what a good shepherd would do. And do you realize what that means? Some of you today are worried and you're worried about your worry and you're anxious and you're fretful and you are, honestly, this is gonna be something you struggle with for a long time. Bring it to Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's not impatient. His patience doesn't run out on you. He says, I came to die for the very things that are weighing you down. Think about it this way. On the night before his death, Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he experienced genuine mental agony. I think if there was such thing as sanctified anxiety, Jesus was experiencing it that night. We know this because the Bible says that when Jesus was praying the night before his death, when he looked forward to what was about to happen to him. Like when you look in your future, you get afraid and Jesus looked into his future and he was so sanctified, anxious that he was sweating drops of blood. That's a medically diagnosable condition. Your capillaries in your head burst because of the stress. Like Jesus experienced tremendous anxiety in a holy way. Why? Because he knew he was about to go to the cross. He knew that in a matter of hours, he would be taking your place. Like for all the times that you live as though he's not there, he was going to go die for that. Like for all the ways in which you live as though God isn't actually out there and loving, he was about to pay for that. When you look to other temporal things to try to give you the deep satisfaction of your soul, he was going to die for that. He's the king, but on the cross, the lights of the kingdom would go out on him. You see, sometimes you and I live like God isn't out there, but Jesus, ever perfect on the cross, cried out to his father and the door was shut and there was no answer. In that moment, there was no one on the other end of the line. In your worry, all the pain, all the weight, all the fear, all the regret, On the cross, Jesus died for it. He took it on himself. And that means he's ever gracious to worriers. He's ever gracious to people who are constantly trying to run their own life and irritable and impatient and not peaceful because of the fear they carry. He's gracious to you. So how do you seek the kingdom? Just seek him. Stop trying to not worry. You can. Just seek him. Remember him. See him dying for you. 
See him giving himself up in loving sacrifice for you. See him saying, not my will, but yours be done to the Father. See him with joy going to the cross so that you could be brought into his family. As you see him, what happens is slowly but surely we become a people in which worry starts to get crowded out. Not because we're mastering our fears and our worries, but because we see his beauty and we see his love. Don't be anxious, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to the kingdom. You say, how do I know? You don't know what I'm facing. I don't know what you're facing. And I don't know why God allows certain things to happen in your life. I don't know why he doesn't let certain things happen in your life. But I know this, it can't be because he doesn't love you. And we know that because of what Jesus did. So seek him. Seek the kingdom. Let's pray. Our God, help us now as we come into this time of response to to seek Jesus. Some of us today are really weighed down. Like the stuff we're carrying is way too much for us. Our shoulders are not big enough. So help us today to not worry by seeking Jesus. Help us to give you some of that anxiety, some of that fear, some of that, the idol of control. And help us to trust you. Make Jesus real and beautiful to us during this time of response as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.